0: My son introduced me to this delightful and wise little book. It's called Nonsense by a professor named Robert J. Gula. In the book, he winsomely develops the idea of logic. And he shares how incredibly illogical human societies can be. Listen, here's here's what he says. Rarely is there a discussion today in which there is not some illogical irrelevance. Some discussions run rampant with irrelevance. For example, we are awash in appeals to what can be called the sacred cow. Uh, These are ideas which we hold dear. Uh, Justice, freedom, democracy, the law, religion. When a person says that because you challenge his statement, you also challenge one of these ideas, he's using an irrelevant appeal to the sacred cow. What do you mean by criticizing what the preacher said this morning? Are you against religion? He goes on. Such a line of thought is nonsense. You're attacking a person's statement does not mean that you're attacking either that person or the ideals he stands for. Minority groups, uh, religious, ethnic, racial, ad hoc pressure groups, sometimes use this appeal. I know why you're disagreeing with me. You're just anti feminist Close quote. Now, I bring that up because fallacies like these are so awash in our culture that it is very hard to discern truth. And it is even harder to do what you guys are all called to do, which is live truth out in an illogical, irrelevant, hypersensitive culture. That's, is that not your world? An illogical, irrelevant, hypersensitive culture. So if people are that, think- that messy in our thinking, and they are, does that mean mankind is just doomed, right? According to Hollywood, we are. Have you noticed? Nearly every book, movie, TV show over the last 10 years has all been about the, the post-apocalyptic life in a world destroyed by human foolishness and hubris. And by the way, they never have a God who makes all things new after the apocalypse. I so know it's just horrible. That's what you and I hear all the everything's about zombies, all the time, <laughs> but Dr. Gula has a more balanced approach, look what he says, are men and women by nature hopelessly muddled creatures, by nature, yes, muddled, yes, hopelessly, no, if, if we can recognize the pitfalls and ruses, we may be able to avoid them, and we may be able to discourage others from relying upon them, close quote. Dr. Gouli here is continuing a long tradition of thought of using truth and reason to live wisely. The point is not just to become a know-it-all smart aleck, as he warns in the book. The world does not need another smart aleck. And yes, I looked at you. Um, (laughs) What the world does need, sorry, what the world does need are people who can think, especially, this is what the world needs, this is what it needs you to be, people who can think about truth. Gula summarizes really nicely, he says, before one can use one's reason, one should know the traps that are always awaiting the untutored mind. Close quote. And that is a very big part of why you and I are here to study the Bible today. We want to know and avoid the traps that are awaiting untutored minds. So, let's tutor our minds and our souls, okay? Shall we? All God's people said? Alright, first thing, let's dive into a major ridiculous illogic that pervades the world. You ready? The human desire to be God. <coughs> That is the first big idea. Uh, You got a bulletin when you came in. Open up your bulletin. There's notes there. The first thing you'll see in your notes is nonsense number one. The human desire to be God. This is the default setting of humanity ever since sin entered the equation. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see this phenomenon. Chapter 3, verse 5, the tempter is speaking, and he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be... That's how he spoke, by the way. I don't know if you know that. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to key in on the major phrase there of, of the fall of humankind. You will be what, everybody? Like God. Since Adam and Eve fell, that has been our default setting, to try and be our own God. No single book, poem, or speech that I've ever read captures this default human desire to be God better than this one, Dr. Seuss's bestseller, Oh, The Places You'll Go. How many of you are familiar with that book? Raise your hand if you're familiar with it. Okay, great. Um, it is, by the way, it is one of the best-selling books of all time. Fifth most purchased book in the history of the New York Times bestseller list, okay? And in that book, it's a very little book that the point is made abundantly clear. You are in charge. If you've read the book, the boy in the story is reminded that his life is all about realizing his own desires. Dr. Seuss writes, you're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. You notice the all caps you there? That is the key word in the book. It's a very short book. Guess how many times the word you appears in the book? Ninety times. Ninety? Ninety times. Everything is about external achievement. It's all about you being recognized as the master. Dr. Seuss (coughs) teaches young people this. Fame? You'll be famous as famous can be with a whole wide world watching you win on TV. Before we were drawn to faith in Jesus, every one of us thought we knew the right path. We did. And our default setting, this was our default setting, was to always exalt ourselves as our own deity. We took what we wanted, right? We set our own rules. Often, now listen, they're often very religious sounding and noble rules, but nonetheless, we were the ones that made them and thus we could change them at our will. Especially over the past few centuries, humans have determined that we are the center of the universe and that our individual autonomy and personhood is the single most, the single most important thing in the world is to know you. And as a consequence, we've learned that there are two tragedies, two great tragedies that flow from humans trying to be God, delusion and exhaustion, delusion and exhaustion. Because we're not God, we cannot handle the pressure that comes either from success or failure. We either delude ourselves or we burn out. Those are our only options. And in our day, in the day in which you and I live, this delusion and exhaustion has worked its way very deeply into the churches of Jesus Christ. Most Christians, this is really sad, but most Christians that I meet don't even recognize their own desire to play God. And they don't realize how their churches are sadly, I'm not picking on our brethren, I'm just being honest here, how their churches are sadly contributing to the problem. Look at Michael Horton's brilliant observation. This is from way back in 1996. He said this, unwarranted confidence in human ability is a product of the fallen human nature. This false confidence now fills the evangelical world from the self-esteem gospel to the health and wealth gospel, from those who have transformed the gospel into a product to be sold and sinners into consumers who want to buy to others who treat the Christian faith as true simply because it works. Close quote. Illogically, but universally, illogically, but universally, humans desire to be God. Here's what's amazing. Listen, the triune God, the true God, didn't just leave humans to wallow in that illogical lie, which is what we deserved. His justice, which rightly separates himself from all of us false gods, his justice was satisfied not by anything in us, but by his grace. As I put it in our notes, God's provision is sola gratia, sola gratia. It's your first fancy Latin phrase of the day you're going to learn, boys and girls. The Latins said it gratia. In the Middle Ages, they said it more Italian, gratia. So you can say gratia or grazia, whichever you want. On the count of three, sola gratia. One, two, three. Sola gratia. Very good. Oh, you're so Italian. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where sola gratia is explained to us. Ephesians chapter 2, in your New Testament, verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by what, everybody? Grace, Grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. How, How are we justified? How are we saved and made acceptable to God? By His grace alone, not by ourselves, so obviously no human has anything about which to boast. Our forefathers developed a cool Latin phrase to describe this, sola gratia. It means grace alone. A pastor named Michael Hoodman summarizes the doctrine really nicely. He has a website called gotquestions.org, and he says it well. He says, sola gratia is simply acknowledging that the Bible teaches the totality of our salvation is a gift of grace alone. From God, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Sola gratia is acknowledgement that the salvation from the wrath of God is based on God's grace and mercy and not anything good in us. Close quote. The historian Louis Spitz relates the import of sola gratia. Here's why this is so important. This experience of salvation by God's grace alone, bestowed on man as a gift through faith, without dependence on human merits, became the touchstone <laughs> of Reformation churches. Close quote. And our church needs reformed so that this becomes the touchstone of this church. All God's people said? Gorge, you're asking in your favorite goofy imitation. (laughs) Why would anyone reject that doctrine? That's what you're wondering. It's a great question. Believe it or not, sola gratia is actually pretty unpopular. It's really pretty unpopular. Here's the number one reason. Number one reason that I hear about why people do not want to accept sola gratia is because they don't want to accept what the Bible clearly states about human inability. Jeremiah captures the Bible's view of the human condition. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Close quote. Jeremiah, like Paul in the New Testament, is pointing out that humans need grace. We are too limited to be gods. We're too broken to make ourselves acceptable to the one true holy God. In fact, our perverse hearts bring nothing They bring nothing of merit to the justification table. That offends many people. That is the stumbling block of the cross. Again, I like Michael Hoodman's summary. He says, rather than acknowledge our total helplessness and hopelessness apart from the grace of God, most people want to believe that they have a role to play in their salvation. Western culture is so saturated with the idea that we are masters of our own destiny, captains of our own souls, that the idea that we are without any hope apart from and based solely on the grace of God is foreign to our way of thinking. Close quote. Let me, let, me, let me give you the main opposition to Sola Gratia in one story. Okay, one story. Years ago, I was visiting with a bunch of firefighters over at the Central Frisco Fire Station. I'd been asked to guest teach a Bible study over there. And, uh, and it just so happened, the passage we were studying was Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10. And one of the firemen took great offense to this passage, what you just read in Ephesians 2. He said to me, and I quote, Pastor, that's a pile of edited word." He said, if I want to be good, I can do it all on my own. I don't need help from anyone else. I certainly don't need help from God. That led to a really great discussion. Okay? A few weeks later, okay, fast forward a few weeks later, uh, a retired fireman here in Frisco, well-known guy, uh, passed away, and many of us were at the funeral. We were at this funeral. And, and you may know that it's become tradition uh, for the song Amazing Grace, the Christian hymn Amazing Grace, to be sung at first responders' funerals. It's become a tradition. During the song, as we're all singing Amazing Grace, I look over and I catch this guy's eye. And he's robustly singing these words, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Really... I smiled at him, and I held up the little card with the lyrics on it, and I tapped the card and kind of raised my eyebrows at him. And he, he, was, a good, he was a good sport. He, he, he smiled and kind of laughed at himself and that led to another great discussion that we had after the funeral. And then later, just a few days later, I was blessed to see him really trust in grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone right here in this room. As on this property he became a Christian by grace. Now, think about those lyrics that fireman was singing, John Newton's words, "twas grace that taught my heart to fear" And grace, my fear, is relieved. That's sola gratia right there. Honest understanding teaches us to rightly fear. We see our incorrigible wickedness and realize that separates us from God. Grace teaches us to fear. But by God's grace, not by anything in us, by His grace alone, we are rescued from our deserved separation from God. When we realize the truth of Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 5 and hundreds of other passages, grace then relieves our fears. Listen again to the theologians. Listen. Uh, Hoodman says, we cannot grasp how amazing God's grace in salvation is until we first grasp how sinful we truly are. And then Michael Horton from the Cambridge Declaration, God's grace in Christ is not merely necessary, but is the sole efficient cause of salvation. We confess that human beings are born spiritually dead and are incapable of even cooperating with regenerating grace, close quote. Josiah Condor was a pretty talented British writer. Uh, He's a good writer. Nobody reads him anymore, but it's good stuff. Good history. it's fairly good poetry. 1836, Condor wrote a poem that I think very nicely relates the whole idea of sola gratia. Uh, Look what he wrote. "'Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, but thou hast chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleaned and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. That's Sola gratia. And the result of embracing this doctrine is transformative. Folks, if you will embrace sola gratia, it will transform your lives. Look look what happens. The result is God is understood as God. He saves, which assures perfect security. Humans are freed from trying to be deity, desperately grasping for something that we can neither reach nor keep. In a word, the person who understands God's grace finds out that they are secure. One last time, let's turn to Hoodman. I I do think he speaks better than I. He says this. Sola gratia is important because it is the basis of our assurance of salvation as sinners before a holy God. If we deny sola gratia, then we cannot have any true assurance of our salvation. Since everything we do is tainted by sin, how can we have confidence that our decision for Christ was effective? How can we know if we have enough faith to be saved? Fortunately, the Bible reveals a different gospel, one that is based not on what we do but on what Jesus Christ has done. All God's people said, amen. Amen. That takes us to our next big illogical idea. This one's listed atop the right side of our notes. Nonsense number two. Nonsense number two. The human desire to earn our way. Proverbs chapter 14 captures this truth very pithily. Uh, Read verse 12 with me. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Everybody together. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What seems right to us is earning God's grace. This was clearly displayed 450 years ago. 450 years ago, Martin Luther and the other church reformers successfully proved from the Bible that sola gratia is God's doctrine. Okay, that was was a done deal. Nobody could stand against it. The logic's irrefutable in the Bible. Sola gratia is God's doctrine. But in response, here's what the church... state machine in Rome came up with. They came up with a really nifty counter. They began to teach that while God's grace is indeed the only way of salvation, that grace, listen, can and must be earned by the human. All right? The famous counter-reformation priest uh, Ignatius of Loyola put it this way. Ignatius of Loyola said, One's own discernment decides what is the path to glorify God, the right path. Discernment comes through effort, which makes a direct connection to the grace of God. Close quote. Effort makes a direct connection to the grace of God. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds exactly like Proverbs 14, 12. Now, I know this may seem far removed from your daily experience, unless you're one of Loyola's Jesuits. But I assure you, this human desire to earn grace is a tragic part of our everyday, everyday modern experience. It is. I, I asked our drama team to help illustrate that, and they crafted this video for us. Take a look. Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I volunteer at the soup kitchen at least three times a month. Basically, because I'm a good person. I give a lot of money to charities, a lot of charities. I help my wife with the Christmas pageants and everything at church at the end of the year. I tithe every week, and when the plate comes by, I make sure I put some money in. And on communion Sundays, I'm first in line. (laughs) Well, I'm in church every religious holiday. And I pay my taxes on time. I don't cheat, lie, or steal. And I love my wife. Well, basically, I'm a very spiritual person. I do a lot of good things. Uh, I give the shirt off my back to someone. Uh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Basically, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Very nice. What was their problem? They all think they're what? Good. good. But as we learned in Sola Gratia, <laughs> they're not good. No one is read with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, altogether. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we, we think we're good enough to earn God's grace, to earn our way, but we all fall short and we miss the point of grace. So what can be what can be done for this poor human being who might recognize their need for God's grace but thinks that she's good enough to earn it? What can be done for that person? God's provision is sola fide, Latin for faith alone. Your second fancy word of the day, boys and girls. On the count of three, sola fide. One, two, three. Sola sola fide. fide. The book of Romans goes on to explain. Listen, chapter chapter five, verse one. Therefore, talking about the fact that we all need God's grace. Therefore, since we have been justified by what, everybody? Faith. Faith. Since we've been justified, made right before God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By trusting in Jesus, we are made at peace with God. It is not something we earn. Salvation comes through someone we trust. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only sacrifice who could pay the debt that was racked up by our sin. He died as required by the logic of God's law. And then Jesus, fully God, fully man, he conquered death. He rose from the grave promising that those who trust in him have salvation. They have eternal life reconciled forever with God. And it is all by faith alone in Jesus alone. Read with me. Jesus had a powerful statement. John chapter 3, verse 36. Uh, you read the underlined text. Jesus said, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him, believes, faith alone. John 3.36, so moved the great German thinker, the polymath Goethe, that Goethe wrote this. After he read John 3.36, look what he wrote. The deepest theme in history has been posed by the conflict between faith and unfaith. Close quote. And I think he's right. Deepest theme in history is posed by the conflict between faith and unfaith. It's all about faith, not your works. One of my favorite modern theologians, Millard Erickson, explains. He says this, justification, being made legally right before God, is something completely undeserved. It is not an achievement. Even faith is not some good work which God must reward with salvation. It is God's gift, the means by which we receive the righteousness of Christ in place of our sins. And God's grace through faith has always been the means of salvation, something Paul points out when discussing Abraham. And you can look that up in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. In our day, it's all about faith. But in our day, many people, I've been intrigued by this, are increasingly uncomfortable talking about or thinking about faith. Have you noticed that? It's silly. It's incredibly silly. You do know in reality that every single person uses faith every single day every after church today you're going to go to a restaurant right and you're going to give an order to somebody that you don't know right and that person's going to go back to a place you can't see and where you can't go and they're going to give your order to people that you've never met and they're going to prepare food and bring it out and set it in front of you what are you going to do you eat it that's faith <laughs> that's amazing A lot of you have to fly for work tonight, tomorrow. You'll be flying to work. You will be trusting so many people that you will never meet, right? You're going to be trusting little layers of aluminum that are that thick at 35,000 feet. That's faith. That's just astonishing faith, right? Thus, the issue is not whether one believes. The, the, The issue is not whether one has faith. The issue is whether what one believes is reasonable and trustworthy. Jesus is completely trustworthy. Nothing else is. We're going to see this in depth later in the year when we study the Reformed doctrine of Solus Christus. Jesus brings us God's grace. He draws us to His salvation. This is our reasonable faith. Grace, not self-Godhood. Through faith, not our works. Sola gratia, sola fide. And just consider the result. When we trust in Jesus alone, look at the result. When we trust in Jesus alone, glory goes to the triune God and salvation comes to humans. By contrast, when we try to earn God's grace through anything other than faith or we trust in anything less than Jesus, we hog the credit. Nobody gets saved. This is huge, my friends. We are talking about eternal life and death here. Again, we're going to give the final word to a theologian because, you know, all they do is sit around and think about this stuff all day. Um, David Wells in the Cambridge Declaration says this, there is no gospel except that of Christ's substitution in our place whereby God imputed to Him our sin and imputed to us His righteousness. Because He bore our judgment, we now walk in His grace as those who are forever pardoned, accepted, and adopted as God's children. There is no basis for our acceptance for God except in Christ's saving work, not in our patriotism, churchly devotion, moral decency. The gospel declares what God has done for us in Christ. It's not about what we can do to reach Him. Close quote. Faith alone In Christ alone, Amen. May it be so. Now, let's cover one more illogical bit of nonsense. Nonsense number three: the human desire to be entitled and lazy. That's just for you, Denise. All right, there you go. We have. You may have noticed this. If you've been a Christian any time, you probably noticed this. We have a tendency to take the assurance of sola gratia and sola fide, which is wonderful, and we turn it into all kinds of weird, poorly thought-through trash. Probably the most egregious example in in this day is universalism. Uh, Pastor Rob Bell made a mess of many, many lives when he began teaching. Here's universalism. Universalism says that because there's grace, it means that all people must go to heaven. That's just lazy. It completely ignores what the Bible says about grace, especially the truth that everybody is sinful and in need. Universalism ignores the faith alone that is so clear in so many texts. For example, if you're going to be a universalist, you've got to miss, twist, or tear out of the Bible statements like Jesus. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In throwing that gauntlet down, Jesus proves universalism is lazy nonsense. And there are plenty of other lazy things we do. Here's one. Christians will pretend that since they are permanently justified, which they are, that then whatever we do now doesn't matter. That is ridiculous. Everyone who is justified, biblically, everyone who is justified is expected to become sanctified, to grow in holiness. I don't know which one I run into more. People who wrongly think that they have to do something to be justified, which is tragic, or people who wrongly think they can act like unholy idiots with no consequences. Looking at the Bible, I think both of them drive God nuts. <laughs> let, let, me, let me put it this way. Do you love the children that are part of this church? The hundreds of kids that are running around that other building right now. Do you love them? Yes or no? Just a basic Do you love them? Yes. yes amen. Yeah, we sure do. All right. Since you love them then, does that mean that they should be allowed to do foolish things without any kind of interference or guidance? No, but they're children, and you love them. Shouldn't you just let them do whatever they want? Yes or no? no? Heavens, no, because you love them. In that answer, you resemble God. You see, the Lord who loves you and offers grace to you also promises to spank your bottom as needed. He promises, yeah, amen, brother. <laughs> and you know why he does it? Because he loves you. That's why. Look at the promise. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he what, everybody? Loves. Just as a father, the son he delights in. Now that verse is discussing our sanctified life here on earth as, as God's people. There are other texts that describe the judgment seat of Christ. where We are going to receive rewards or lose rewards at our glorification. So for now and forevermore, it matters very much what the Christian does. Anyone who says anything less is giving you entitled nonsense. Thankfully, God has a great answer for our entitled laziness. God's provision is walking in good works. You're still in Ephesians chapter 2, right? Look at the very next verse, very next verse, verse 10. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. The critical word is what my Bible translates uh, creation. It's the Greek term poiema. Poema is a fascinating word. It's uh, one of those words that was used for a long, long, long time, centuries and centuries, and it has many shades of meaning depending on what author is using it, what time period. But li- listen, there's one thing that is always, always, always part of poema. It doesn't matter whether it is Hesiod using the word, or, or, or Zeno, or Philo, or Plato, or the Apostle Paul, whoever's using it, it means this something made for a purpose. Look at what Ephesians is telling you. Christian. You were justified for a purpose. God created you anew through faith in Jesus Christ for a definite purpose. You and I were saved so we could do God's good works. This is patent. This is evident. Even secular historians get this. Uh, Jacques Barzun was one of the most respected historians of the 20th century. I I really recommend his stuff. In his last great book, Barzun wrote about Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah, there's part of the books about Ephesians chapter 2. And and he's talking about Ephesians chapter 2 and its impact, not on you, not on Christians, on all of Western thought. Here's what he says. This proclamation, God's bestowal of grace. Every man a priest, each Christian free Lord, subject to none, yet dutiful servant of all. This could only mean a new way of life. Close quote. This means a new way of life. Notice how verse 10... Flows out of verses 8 and 9. Because we are saved by grace through faith, we're a new creation. And as God's new creation, we are made to walk in the great things that God gave us to do in this new way of life. Thus, our objective for this series. Really, folks, this is our vision for this entire year. Here is our vision for the next year. You want to know where we're going? Here's where we're going. Objective. That we are influencers of, not merely influenced by the common culture. How do we influence? We influence by understanding and living out the foundational truths of biblical Christianity, ever reforming ourselves, ever reforming our church, ever reforming our world. And the result is that God is glorified and human beings are blessed. Cindy Sharp of our pulpit team sent me a great note on this. Cindy wrote me and she she was talking about Ephesians 2.10. She said, Wayne, this is real freedom. I'm free to do my best, whatever comes to hand, without fear of reprisal for failure. I am loved, Period. I feel our Abba's pleasure when I keep trying, keep giving my best for his glory. He always accomplishes his goal even when I fail, and it is thrilling to be a part of his team, close quote. We do good works to live out our salvation. You know why? Because we are so grateful for God's grace. And when we do so, that blesses people and it glorifies God, something we'll describe more in depth next time. At the very beginning of what became known as the Reformation, Dr. Martin Luther wrote a little book called The Sermon on Good Works. Really good little book. Here's his bottom line. Here's what he said Good works include more than just praying in church, they can incorporate laboring at one's trade, coming and going, eating, drinking, and sleeping, all the other acts that are generally useful. The Christian who lives in confidence towards God knows the things he should do, and he does all gladly and freely because it is his great joy to please God and to serve Him, close quote. So true. And there are so many things we can do. As long as they are done by God's grace and for His glory, they help us fulfill this new life in which we are called to walk. Let me just highlight a couple things. I just want to highlight two things we as a church have embraced, two of the many good works in which our church is walking. Uh, Here's one. Recently, our executive pastor of ministry, Andy Sipes, he stood right up here and he challenged you and he challenged me for us to clothe a hundred children and have a hundred of, of serving in the next uh, clothe the child weekends that are coming up in October. I don't know if you know, we began this ministry 13 years ago with a few other churches and it has been an incredible blessing. And, and, the, and the, the challenge before us is to make sure this year that we clothe a hundred kids, which costs hundred dollars a kid, and that we have hundred volunteers. Right now, as I speak now, we still need some volunteers and we still need some donations. So when we pray in a moment... I encourage you to pray and see if this is a good work that God has given you to walk in. If it is, go talk to the people at the kiosk in the foyer. They'll set you up. Secondly, our newest ministry at this church could also use your support Laundry Love. Laundry Love meets at the Frisco laundromat once a month. You know what we do? We buy people's soap, and we pay for their washing machines, and we pay for their dryers, and it is awesome. And we just hang around and talk. Talk about laundry, talk about soap, talk about children. Talk about jobs, talk about life, talk about Jesus. It's fantastic. If you you think you would like to be a part of Love, especially if you can speak any Spanish, please talk to the people in the foyer. Uh, Of course, we have multitudes multitudes of other ways to glorify God and bless people. Look, you may think you may need to get off your bottom and not just sit here every Sunday and start serving in a ministry. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what the Spirit's impressing on you. You may need to go on a mission trip. You... You may need to start giving money faithfully, regularly. Maybe you need to go care for some kids. Maybe you need to serve in one of our other (laughs) many local missions that we have. Whatever it is that right now you're feeling pressed on, God has given you to do, do it. Call me. Call the church. Visit the website. We'll we'll get you hooked up. Okay, let's recap. Nonsense number one. Humans desire to be God. Does it work? Yes or no? Does it work? Okay, so, so what is God's provision? What does he give us? Sola gratia. Praise God. Nonsense number two, humans desire to earn that grace. Does that work? Yes or no, does it work? No, it certainly does not. So what is God's provision? Sola fide. Grace alone, faith alone. Nonsense number three, human beings are entitled and lazy. Is that wise, yes or no? No. So what is God's provision? Good works. Remember the the very end of old Josiah's poem that I read to you? Read the last two lines with me. Everybody together. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to Thee. All God's people said? May it be so. Pray with me. Father, thank You for my brothers and sisters. Thank You for all these people with whom I get to worship and study. It is a blessing. I pray for anyone here who has not embraced sola gratia and sola fide. They have not trusted Jesus. Friend, listen. Jesus really is exactly who we talked about. He is fully God, fully man. He died on that cross because God loves you. And you cannot save yourself. Right now, if you have never done so, trust Jesus. By faith alone, in Jesus alone. God's grace is calling you. Trust Jesus. Just talk to God. I believe in Jesus. I receive your grace. I don't believe in Jesus just as some teacher, just some moral guy, as a historical figure. Those are all fine and true. I believe in Him as my Savior. He paid for my sin, and I trust Him. If you just prayed to trust Jesus, let's start living out your good works. Your first good work is to raise your hand. Act on what you've done. Raise your hand if you just prayed to trust Jesus right now. Look up at me. Good for you. Excellent. Praise God. Amen. Father, I pray for these new Christians. I pray for all of us who are Christians here. This is very convicting stuff because, quite frankly, my brothers and sisters and I are not doing all we should be doing. We know it. We feel it. We try very hard to dull our senses so we don't notice your call. And I pray that we will see clearly and we will walk in the good works you've given us. Not by our strength, by your grace and for your glory. Father, I pray for the offering that we're about to take as I see these ushers come forward. It's a very important part of how I walk in your grace. It's one of the best of the good works I do, and I pray that we can do it robustly and joyfully because of how well you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.